This is John chapter 1, verses 14 and 18. Hear now God's word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do thank you that you speak to us through your word, and we thank you that you have shown us yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, very God, a very God. And so, Father, I pray that as we consider these things, we consider this immense event that has happened for our sake, for your glory. Would you give us a heart of wisdom that we might adore you with all of our heart? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for most of us, or many of us, Christmas is one of our favorite times of the year, perhaps the favorite season uh, that we have in the year um, with all the our favorite Christmas songs and the sights and the smells and the tastes that come along with Christmas, whether it's our favorite Christmas hymns or the seeing the Christmas lights adorning the houses in our neighborhoods, making our favorite Christmas cookies or treats, um, or the trees or the stockings or the gifts, or just our gathering together with family and friends um, to celebrate this event. Um, it's, a, it's a time that we, um, for most of us, thoroughly enjoy, and particularly for us in the church, we delight in this time because it is an opportunity for us to remember and to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And beloved, it's, it is a good thing for us to remember Christ's incarnation and his life. And we could probably point to a number of different reasons for that. I mean, uh, the Lord Jesus is our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he came as our King to rescue us from a dominion of darkness and to bring us into his glorious king, kingdom. Um, and over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how he is our great high priest who became like us so that he would know us, he would experience our experience, he would be able to sympathize with us and um, perfectly represent us. But there's one more aspect that perhaps is um, far more glorious than even those, and that is simply that as the Word of God, the very Word of God, He came to make known to us God as He truly is. And that's John's focus here in the beginning of the book of John, is simply this, is that the Son of God was made flesh like you and me so that we might see His glory and we might truly know our God. And so, um, as we consider this, we'll kind of look at it, just look at the text in three simple headings. We'll see that the Word became flesh, uh, we have seen His glory, and He has done this so that we would know God. So, very simply, the, the Christmas story in the book of John is simply this, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Now kids, that may seem kind of weird. A word 
would become flesh. I'm guessing none of us have ever seen a word become flesh. By flesh, of course, we mean something physical, something that is in our experience, something that we can see, something that we could maybe touch or hear. You might say, well, hold on, Pastor Mark, I can, I can see words. And, I can say, and I'll say to you, no, you don't. You don't see words. You see printed words, printed in on a piece of paper, perhaps, or written by your hand. It is something physical. It is a word that has been written out. You're seeing the physical representation of that word. Or you might say, well, I, I hear you talking right now. I hear words coming out of your mouth. And I would say, well, what you hear is spoken words. My vocal cords are speaking, and you are hearing in your physical ears the sound that is coming. But the words in and of themselves are invisible. They're ideas that cannot be seen or heard unless they're given flesh. They're brought into the material world. And that's what it says. It says the word, the very word of God, became flesh, became something that was attainable by us, something that we could see or hear. And um, even more than that, we know that this flesh is not just simply something physical, but it's a person. He's talking here about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know this word. He's the Son of God. It's the one that the angel had been talking about. This baby will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And so this word is the Son of God, become flesh, become a person. And, beloved, you we can't miss the fact that this is an incredibly unique event in the span of history, one that has, had never happened before this point and has never happened since. And what I mean is this, is that, yes, God's word has been powerful, had been powerful from the very beginning. God's word was powerful and effective in creation to say, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be plants, let there be animals, I'm paraphrasing, and those things came to be. Physical things came out of nothing by God's powerful word. His word brought physical reality to come to bear. But never before did the word itself become flesh. Never before did the word become flesh until now. And this is the very son of God, the one who is the Son of the Most High. This is the second person of the Trinity, who he says um, is the very God who was at the Father's side, the, the Son of God himself, who was eternal, omnipotent, blessed, majestic from all eternity. He has now taken on human flesh to be like us. And just like you can't see words without flesh, recognize that, we can't see God either without them coming into our existence. Because, kids, where is God? We would say, well, God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. And yet we can't see him, can we? I mean, he's here present with us, and yet we cannot see him. Um, just like our kids' catechism asks, can you see God? And the answer is, no, but he always sees me. The invisible God is the unseen God who we cannot see, 
um, apart from his entering into our creation. And that's exactly what has happened in the person of Jesus Christ because it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And perhaps even more remarkable from the fact that we have never seen God is the reason why we have not seen God up until this point. It's because of his glory. God declares in his word that the reason why we cannot see God is because he is so glorious, so majestic, that his glory is too much, that no man can look at God and live because of his glory. And yet what it says is that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory, which, if we think about what, everything that we've talked about over the past few weeks, that ought to be really surprising for us, especially when we consider who the person of Jesus Christ was. Because remember, he came as an ordinary man like you and me. When we think of glory, we think of the brilliance of God, the brilliance of light, the brilliance of purity and holiness overwhelming us. And yet, the Lord Jesus came as just an ordinary baby, an ordinary man. But John says, in this ordinary person, we have seen his glory. Glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen his glory, but maybe it's not the glory that we expect. And kids, if you... Think about, you know, I'm sure your parents have told you, hopefully your parents have told you, that you cannot look at the sun for longer than a few minutes without your eyes becoming blind. The glory of our God it far exceeds that, that no man can look at him and live. And yet we have seen God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for him coming and showing us the glory, and that is so that we would know God. If we go to verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now this uh, seems a bit odd language, and reading in the Greek is no magic formula to understanding God's word perfectly, but it helps here. It says where, where it says, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, so if you look at verse 14 where it says, and glory as of the only Son from the Father, and here it says the only God, it's the same Greek word, monogenes, which is translated in 14 as the only Son from the Father. He is the only Son of the Father. Here he is considered the only God. He is both um, perfectly God, but also a member of the Godhead. And this, he is the only God who is at the Father's side or in the, in the bosom of the Father from all eternity. The eternal Son of God, fully God, now becoming fully man. And it says that he has come and taken on this flesh so that we would see his glory so that he might make known to us who God is. It's like the, the line in that hymn that we love, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that we sung today. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. 
we have an opportunity to see the Godhead as he would reveal himself perfectly in his Son. So he has come in the flesh. We have seen his glory, and the purpose is to make him known, make the unseen God known to you and to me. And brothers and sisters, for the Apostle John, it is critically important that we recognize that is, is of critical importance that he wants us to know that Jesus came in the flesh, that he really came in the flesh. Um, we see it here that he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. At the beginning of the book of John, he says, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, that which we have heard concerning the word of life. He, he is talking about the tangible uh, aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ being truly in the flesh. And we read it in our law passage. He says, how do you know that somebody is a false prophet, somebody who denies that Jesus came in the flesh? He wants us to know that he came in the flesh. But it's not just that he was in the flesh. All of us are in the flesh. All of us are earthly people. There's something about the fact that he is making the point that this person is who the apostles say that he is, that he is the very Son of God in the flesh. By the fact that he's saying those, there are those who deny that he's in the flesh, recognize who he is, and how could he possibly be in the flesh. But for John, that is of critical importance, that he did come in the flesh, and that he was who he said he was. And so the question I have to ask you is, do you really believe that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became flesh, became a person like you and me that took on human flesh and will forever be a person like you and me, now in heaven? Or is that too far off for you to believe that the almighty, eternal, majestic God would clothe himself with humanity? It's of supreme importance for us. And part of the reason why people deny this fact is because of something, a dualistic view of life. And perhaps you've struggled with this as well. A dualism says that everything spiritual is good and those things that are of the material realm are evil and wicked. And it's not possible for the pure and holy God of the universe to take on flesh because that would somehow corrupt who he is. But beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ took on flesh and so that tells us something about the material world and about flesh and it tells us that it is not evil in and of itself. In fact, part of our great hope is that God will redeem us, body and soul. He is recreating all things. He will come back and recreate even the material world, his creation, part of his, as part of his great and glorious redemption of all things. And so we, we see that even now as Jesus comes in the flesh, that flesh in and of itself is not evil. But it's important for us to know and to remember why it is that he came and why he came in the flesh. And like we've said, he became like us to know us, to live the lives that we lived. And so he was able to sympathize 
with us, to be tempted in every way as we are, to face that dependency in, of our lives. But also, he came to redeem us and to perfect us, to live these lives that we have in a perfect way so that he might be able to reconcile us to God. So he might be able to take on our imperfections and our sins on the cross, but also that he might be able to, we might be counted with his perfect righteousness in the midst of this life. But for John, the reason he came is so that we would know God. So he would make this invisible, unseen God known. And we have to recognize that this is more than just his words. Because God's word had come to his people through the prophets. The prophets had said, thus says the Lord. The prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the prophets spoke with the authority of God himself. And yet, it was not as complete or as perfect as the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything about who Jesus was, everything about who Jesus was, was showing us about our God. So if we would know God, we ought to be looking at Jesus. Um, theologian Her Herman Bovink said this about the incarnation. He says, The incarnation is different from other revelation, that God telling us about himself, but akin to it. It is the crown, the climax, and the completion. All revelation tends toward and groups itself around the incarnation as the highest, the richest, and the most perfect act of self-revelation. And we know this. If you were to learn about somebody from their writings, you would learn about somebody from somebody else telling you about them, that is not nearly as perfect as them coming to speak with you face to face. And you'd be able to learn everything about who they are, see their character, see how they live, see what is important to them. And in fact, all the prophets, all that Old Testament revelation was pointing ahead towards the person of Jesus Christ. And all the apostles, all the New Testament writings are pointing back to the Lord Jesus Christ because in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see God for who he really is. If you remember, um, near the end of Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 14, I think it is, um, Philip, one of the disciples, says, Lord, show us the Father. He's kind of exasperated. He says, how long have I been with you? And you say, show, me, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And elsewhere he says, I and the Father are one. And so to know who God really is, to know God for as he really is, we need to know Christ. It says, God, the only God, has made him known, and we have seen his glory. So what are some of the things that we might see uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ, in him coming in the flesh? Well, perhaps his gentleness we see uniquely, perhaps his self-sacrifice that the God of the universe would give up his only son to redeem those who have 
offended his holiness, that he would take on their nature and to perfect them, to walk in their shoes, to walk in their skin, to become part of his own creation, perhaps his holiness and his righteousness, that even in the midst of coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, Scripture says, in the likeness but not sinful flesh, he remained holy and perfect and righteous, that the temptations that we face are not stronger than he is. The tempter that tempts us is not stronger than he is. Perhaps his zeal for the purity of his church, his love for his people, the passion, and just that he is love itself, love that would lay down his life, a love that would humiliate himself by taking off his garments and serving his people by washing their feet. That's the God of the universe. That Not that he is a, a man. Make no mistake about it. Our God is not a man. He came in the likeness of sinful man. He was made like us, but we are created in his image. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, coming as a man, comes as the perfect image. And so if we are to know ourselves, just as we are to know God, we ought to look to Christ, of what we were intended to be, what we will be, and all that we ought to be. And knowing who God is, is of supreme importance. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And if we were to know who this God is, we must know him through the lens of Jesus Christ. But like I said, to know him, not just to know God, but also to know ourselves. The Lord Jesus is the perfect man, the perfect Israelite, the perfect uh, child who became a young man who became an adult and lived his life out perfectly and he did so as our savior so we in seeing in the person of Jesus Christ we see that we need a savior we see the distinction between us and the image that we were intended to be but we also see him perfectly living that out on our behalf perfectly succeeding where we fail and so he becomes not just our Savior, but also our example, having been set free for life in a way that is um, pleasing to him, we look to him as our example. And so we can't underestimate how much how important it is for us to gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him as he revealed himself and revealed the Father. Everything about what we do, every aspect of our focus, our study, our consideration, our prayer ought to be to know Christ as he has shown himself, to know his words, to know his actions, his reactions, his life, the meaning of everything that he did, to know Christ is to know the truth. He came full of grace and truth. 
And so we must know Christ. And so what that means is that each of us come to our God with hopes and expectations and desires for what we want God to be or who we think God is. And we need to reorient ourselves upon Christ. So I would say it's a universal trait of mankind to search for these deep things of our souls. Why am I here? What is my purpose? How must I live in a way that is pleasing or satisfying or full of joy or meaningful or how will I live a good life or what's it all about? And each one of us, whether we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ or not, finds an answer to that question or seeks out an answer to that question. They're profoundly religious, profoundly spiritual questions. But the answer to those questions are found in Christ and Christ alone. They are found in a knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul says elsewhere, we need to behold his glory in the face of Jesus Christ, his son. And to that point, John says, we have seen his glory. Uh, Glory as of the only son from the father. And you might say, well, we haven't seen, you know, it's nice that Jesus came in the flesh, but I don't have the privilege of being able to see Jesus, to give Jesus a hug, to hold Jesus' hand, you know, for Jesus to wash my feet. That physical touch is not there. And to that I would say, perhaps what the we is, is not necessarily the we, but the we of the church. That he came into the physical realm. He came into our existence so that we as a people could behold him. So that the apostles could see him and that by their testimony, we would believe. We can see the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We can behold him by faith. But it is faith in Christ. And one of the most uh, terrible events that happened in the 20th century was the Jewish Holocaust that happened in World War II. And there are, to this day, there are some who deny that event as having actually happened. Now, most of us here would not put ourselves into that group of people that would deny that the Holocaust actually happened. But none of us here have actually seen that event happen. But how do we What is it that we base our knowledge on? We base our knowledge on the testimony of those eyewitnesses, those people that were around that experienced that or know of people who have. And beloved, there is an important fact that the apostles of Jesus Christ were chosen as eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. And we rest our hope on the truth of their eyewitness account. And we cling to that by faith because Jesus did come in the flesh. All of our hope comes in the, by the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, became man and dwelt among us. And so it is through the eyes of, our, the eyes of faith we cling to that. But it's also not totally true that we cannot behold the Lord Jesus Christ today. Because if you'll bear it, we see the Lord Jesus Christ through his body. 
as we've been talking about through our study in the book of Ephesians, the church is the body of Christ. We are those who have been united to him in his death and resurrection, and his spirit dwells in us. And so there's a sense that we as the church become Christ in the flesh. We are not Christ, but we are his body. He is the head, and we we see Christ in each other. We see Christ in the church, that the world sees Christ through the church. And what a necessary aspect for us to know who Christ is so that we can proclaim Christ as he is, so that we can live as we ought in a way that reflects, demonstrates, perfectly reveals Christ in the midst of this world. It is part of the, the beauty of the church is to reveal Christ and his love in the midst of this world. But friends, Christ came in the flesh. The, the Son of God became man. And we can never lose our sense of wonder, the fact that this is what happened and that this is how God makes himself known. And if you think about those accounts of when Jesus was born, it's filled with wonder. The shepherds make haste to go see this child. The the magi seek him out and find him and worship him and rejoice. And the angels, that ought to really make us stop and think. The angels who have beheld him in his presence ever since they were created, who have sung his praises, beheld his glory, now see this God that they have worshipped take on the likeness of the ones that he created in his image. And they sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. What amazement and what marvel. Peter says that the angels desire to see what is this all about. They are awestruck with delight and wonder. And how can we do anything less? We love our Christmas songs, and uh, last week we sang a song that is an old song that I know is new for many of you. It was called Once in Royal David's City. Um, It's got some beautiful lyrics, and one particular line is particularly fitting. It says, And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. Beloved, that is... That is the good news of the gospel, is that our eyes have a chance to see the glory of our God, to behold him as our own, the one who came to redeem us, to save us, and to know us. He took on flesh so that we might know him, we might love him, and we might adore him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you that you are a God who delights to be known and that you have sent your very own Son who has been eternal and eternally in your presence, has come to be with us, to, yes, speak your words and to bring us your message, but also to reveal you for who you really are. I pray that even as um, 
we gaze upon your son, that you would give us understanding of who he is, that you would help us to see your glory and your grace in him by the power of your spirit. Do this for your glory's sake and for our benefit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.